Hello, and thank you for joining us for an episode of That's All Life, the podcast for PR pros and marketers who work for themselves. People like me, I am Michelle Kane. My company is Voice Matters. I am here as ever with my wonderful co-host, Karen Swim of Solo PR Pro, and we are very excited. We have a guest again today, Karen. That's awesome. We love having guests because they give us a chock full of information. We are here today with Andrew Shapowal. He is a senior accountant and digital asset specialist with Canon Capital Management Group, located in my neck of the woods, Harleysville, Pennsylvania. And full caveat, Canon Capital is a client of mine, and I'm very grateful to Andrew for giving up his time today. Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to talk about mastering your finances. So that's a high order for a short window of time, but <laughs> we know we'll get some good nuggets for our audience. You know, as as solo business owners, it's, you know, I, I guess with anyone, right? You're so busy working, you know, in your business, taking time to be smart about working on your business and making sound financial decisions, you know sometimes is a challenge. <laughs> so yes, we, are, we are grateful. So I mean, with that, let's talk about first off, let's talk about incorporation, right? Sure. So at what point should a solo business owner consider incorporating? And you know, what are the pros and cons of the different types of incorporation? Because I know we still have a lot of solos who are just, you know, nope, just doing my thing, not incorporated. So when we talk about incorporation, first, I want to take a step back and Sure. There's a couple of different types of business entity that we can discuss, right? So the most simple form of entity is uh, you file this tax form Schedule C, right? Mm-hmm. You are just a sole proprietor. Um, you haven't um, uh, filed anything with the state. You haven't, um, there's, there's nothing official. You don't have an operating agreement necessarily. It's just you woke up one day and said, I'm going to start selling widgets. And so you do. <laughs> And so you keep track of your activity and then you report that activity on your tax return, Schedule C, that gets filed with your 1040 at the end of the year. And, um, and that's it. The, the net income from that gets included in your taxable income. And then you'll pay federal income tax and self-employment taxes on that amount. That is, like I said, the simplest form. Now, I would imagine that a lot of small businesses do that, that form, which there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that for you starting out. Like I said, it's super simple, but you um, have a lot of liability when you have that type of entity. You do not have liability protection, meaning that the business is you. There is no legal distinction. So if you are selling widgets and the, you know, someone buys it and the widget breaks and it hurts a child and they sue you, they sue your business, they can go after your personal assets as well. So all of your assets are uh, liable because there is no protection in that entity type. So the next step is, okay, so I want to protect myself. I want to get a little bit of of liability. So I'm going to form an LLC. The LLC is fairly simple to form. You just file your articles with the state. So I live in Pennsylvania. So you file your articles with Pennsylvania. You pick your name. You make sure nobody else has that name. And then once that's processed, you, you know, you fill out a little bit more information, but it's not that bad. And then the state gives you a, a legal entity, and then you can file with the federal government to get what's known as an EIN, an employer identification number, which is just a unique number. It's basically a social security number for your business. And so now you have 
an entity recognized by the state and its own unique identifier number by the federal government. And that is what's required to legally start the business. And of course, practically, you're going to want an operating agreement to um, determine, you know, how the business actually operates. You know, if you have multiple partners, um, who gets what share of income, who has what responsibilities, if one partner wants out, how does that happen? You know, so that's what the operating agreement does. So you want to do that practically, but legally speaking, you file with the state, you file with the Fed, and now you have this information. And so this entity gets its own tax return. It's called a 1065, 1065. It's the partnership tax return. So I might use the term LLC and partnership interchangeably. There's a small distinction, but most businesses these days are LLCs. Uh, I don't see a lot of partnerships anymore, but it, it gets filed in the same tax return. So with this, there is a legal distinction of the business and you. So as long as you don't breach the corporate veil, which is what it's called, the business assets are the ones that are liable for lawsuit, but your personal assets are protected. Mm. So this is a very good step to take for business owners. If you're a sole proprietor and you're on a Schedule C, you want to consider starting an LLC to get yourself some legal protection. Now, the, your specific question was, when do you incorporate? So the, a corporation is different, yeah. right? So the most common types of corporations are S-corps and C-corps. Mm -hmm. Now, when do you jump from an LLC to an S-corp? Now, yeah. an LLC can elect to be taxed as an S-corp. And at some point, you can even convert to a C-corp as well. So this is kind of a, there's a lot of nuance to this. Mm. So I'm going to try to break it down simply. Sure. There is a, a fairly significant tax benefit that S-Corps can have over LLCs, but it's only in certain circumstances. And mm. particularly the circumstance is you make money consistently. So <laughs> as I mentioned with the Schedule C, the, your net income is included in your taxable income on your 1040, on your income tax return. With the same thing with an LLC. If you're a single member LLC, your net income gets included, the entire amount gets included on your personal tax return. And you're going to pay federal income tax on that amount. You're also going to pay self-employment taxes, a totally distinct tax. This is Social Security and Medicare. You will pay this amount on the total net income as well. So that's a lot of tax. The FICA tax or self-employment taxes, I'll use those interchangeably. You've got Social Security and Medicare. Now, when you have, when you are an employee of a business, you'll often see, you know, you look at your pay stub and you have a lot of taxes taken out. You'll see Social Security, you'll see Medicare taken out. That's taken out at the employee rate, which is 6.2% uh, for Social Security, 1.45% for Medicare. But the business also pays those exact same rates on your behalf. So there's two halves of social security. So when you are an LLC, you are both the employer and the employee. So you essentially have to pay both halves, right? Which works out to 15.3%. And that's, that's a lot. That's a high percentage of your entire bottom line. If we can avoid that, we should. So if you are a business that you are well-established, you um, already have, you, you've got a good operating agreement. You've got your uh, formal process in place. You have meetings. 
you actually make money and you make money consistently and you make more money than you would otherwise pay yourself, meaning you have surplus. Now you want to consider an S corp because an S corp uh, treats you, the owner as an employee. It does not treat you as the owner per se. So you can choose to give yourself a W-2 from that business. Now you have to be paid with a quote unquote reasonable salary, a reasonable compensation, but it's only that amount that you pay yourself as your salary that is subject to social security and Medicare. The remaining amount, we'll call that the net income. You still have to pick that up for federal income tax purposes, but you don't have to pay self-employment taxes on that amount. So you're saving 15.3% on that remaining portion. So if your business is profitable enough that you can pay yourself a salary and you have a remaining amount left over, it's on that portion that you can save taxes with an S-Corp compared to an LLC. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. It's it's good to break it down. I know I know a lot of our listeners are probably nodding along, but for many who are still operating in sole proprietor land, I think it's a great information to have and it's just something to think about as your business rolls along. You know, you need to reevaluate things for sure. For sure. So, uh, so the the other thing to consider, LLCs are more flexible when it comes to contribution, capital contributions, and capital distributions. So, if you have, if you're just getting started or you don't have a great bookkeeper, or you know your, your books are kind of a mess, it's definitely easier to be an LLC to get things kind of squared away. You have more flexibility, it, things aren't as rigid. So um, you're definitely gonna wanna get a you know, solid accounting system, a good bookkeeper, you want accurate books and records, and you want clear delineation of personal expenses, business expenses, that type of thing. And if you can have that, you can have a formal process, an S-Corp might make sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really helpful. Thank you. Let's talk about the thing that has been uh, dominating, unfortunately, economic headlines lately, and that is inflation. So what are some tabs, you know, what are some things that we as small business owners should be thinking about during these times and how do we sort of put up those guardrails to protect us against all of these economic uncertainties? So um, unfortunately, inflation is here and there's really nothing we can do about that. And inflation has two general definitions that you'll find in an economic textbook. Uh, one is a general overall rise in prices, which we're seeing clearly. Yeah. The other definition is a devaluing of the currency, of the of the currency of the central bank. And they both essentially mean the same thing, but you can think of it in two different ways. So what can we do practically to, um, to stave off the effects of inflation? Well, unfortunately, we don't, we can't really control the prices that other people charge for their products, right? But we can plan better, right? So um, uh, hopefully business owners are running projections, right? So build inflation into those projections, right? Actually plan for it. You know, the last estimate I heard was inflation was at 9.1%. That's crazy. So when you do your projections, when you do your budgets, actually increase your expenses and, and, and expect to have inflation. And that's going to help you. Um, that's going to help you manage your cash flow a little better. Now, of course, um, 
a lot of us, we pay for unnecessary things. So in your business, if, if you can cut it, cut it, right? If you don't need to buy the thing, then avoid it, right? Um, and this also works with you um, in your personal life, right? If you're, if you're um, you know, a, a sole proprietor and your business is kind of you, right? And your business needs money. Um, don't just look in what the business is spending money on. Look at what you're personally spending money on, right? So that you require less money out of your business, right? So um, just cut unnecessary things. Now, with inflation, one of the things that the Federal Reserve or the, the Fed will do is to curb inflation is raise interest rates, right? So we're seeing that with um, mortgages. The mortgage mortgage rate is like five, six percent now, whereas you know several months ago it was three percent. So we're seeing interest rates come up. So if you have a variable interest line of credit, for example, anything that has a variable interest rate to it, any kind of debt, um, you want to consider paying that down quickly because if interest rates come up anymore, I mean you're just going to be paying more and more out of pocket. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. definitely consider paying down your variable interest loans. Um, and or eliminating them entirely. Now, the next thing that you can do is, this is kind of a uh, little bit more far-fetched, not far-fetched, but you won't see necessarily dividends immediately. But um, I like to think of paying your people first. So when it comes to business, turnover, hiring new employees is very expensive. And it's oftentimes, it's way more expensive to um, have an employee quit and then you have to find another one than it is to just give them a little bit of a pay raise. So um, if we're talking about reducing prices, consider paying your employees first and making them happy so that they don't actually leave and, and forcing you to hire a new person at a much higher rate because of inflation. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So those are, those are some tips for inflation. Yeah. I love that. And we're in the... We're in, um, you know, this inflationary period now, but when we get to the other side of it, I hear some things that we should be doing. So on the other side of this economic cycle, um, for those who've been in business or maybe those who are just, you know, on the fence and maybe they're side gigging and they're thinking about, you know, launching full time, is there an ideal amount of surplus that a business should be keeping that, adds in, you know, the potential for these price increases for um, economic vagaries as a what, in addition to just the normal savings that we should have that because we have clients and clients come and go. And so you have to plan for your income, not always being a straight line. It sometimes it's going to be up, sometimes it's going to be low. So is there an ideal percentage that everybody should be setting aside for business to cover these times? So every business is different. Some businesses have seasonality, some don't. So that's really going to depend on the cash flow of that particular business. But I will say that every business ought to have an emergency fund, right? And when we talk about emergency funds, the, the common heuristic is three to six months of expenses, right? And that's true personally, as well as for the business. If you, you know, in an inflationary time, you might want to consider bumping that up to the, the higher end, like the six months side, right? Whereas if the economy is booming and um, you've got so many places for your capital and, and things aren't super expensive, maybe you can drop that down to the three month side. So I would say, you know, think of, think of your expenses, how much cash would it take for you to exist for six months without revenue? 
right? And that would be your emergency fund. I um, I learned of a troubling statistic recently, and it just blew my mind, but it, it tracks with, you know, America in terms of our saving habits. Um, Wave Accounting did this um, data report, and the data showed that the majority of small business owners have $5,000 or less in an emergency fund. Yeah. That scares the pants off of me personally, because <laughs> is not going very far. If that gets you through one month in this country, God bless, but it's going to be barely that it's just not enough to cover an emergency. And when you think about all of the different things that could happen as business owners, you can have an, you know, something you could get sick and not be able to work. And, you know, the way that public relations people work, we're usually on retainer with our clients. So we have monthly budgets or very few of us work by the hour, but your client's not going to let you not work for a month and just keep paying you. And if you have an extended absence, you're going to have to pay somebody else, a contractor or, you know, somebody that's already on your team to cover your part of it, which means you're spending more in a time when you're not there to participate in the business. Um, you know, yeah. not to all of the natural disasters, there's just too many things that can go wrong today that $5,000 is not enough. So mm-hmm. talk to, you know, I think our solos are savvier than that, most of them, but talk to business owners because some are not making a ton of money. They're not high wealth. They're not, you know, millionaires. They're in that middle layer and they're they're enjoying their business. They're working it. They're making enough to put a little away. But, you know, tell us about how to change those habits and be above, way above average of Americans saving habits. So in order to talk about that, we need to get them motivated, right? Mm. So the idea of an emergency fund, and let's just talk about that for a second. I know a lot of people might think, okay, well, why would I want a bunch of cash sitting in a bank account in an inflationary environment, right? Where, oh, I could just put it in the stock market and it'll grow because inflation is just eating away at my money, right? And that is a very good sound financial concept applied to the wrong scenario. Mm. So what is an emergency fund? It is an insurance policy. What is it insuring against? It's insuring against you going into unnecessary debt and getting in way over your head, right? It's insuring that you can have business continuity through the business cycle, right? Through ups and downs. So think of having cash sitting in an account as an insurance policy where what is insurance? You you pay insurance and hopefully you never have to use it, right? It's just, it's if you never have to use it, it's a wasted expense, right? You're paying money out of your pocket. You're not seeing a benefit of it until you actually need it. So think of money in an account. It's eroding because of inflation. That's true. Think of that erosion as your insurance payment. You are providing yourself peace of mind and you're providing yourself liquidity so that you don't have to mortgage your house, so that you don't have to do anything crazy, which will eventually get you into massive amounts of trouble. Right. So I want to dispel that myth that, oh, I don't want you know a ton of money sitting over here. It's going to ruin me because it's not invested. No, no, no. There's plenty of time for investing. There's plenty of time for all that stuff. The emergency fund is 
it's meant to protect you. And that's why we put a cap on it too, of three to six months of expenses. And you know, there's some wiggle room in there. If, if you're in the type of industry that you definitely need it to be a little bigger, that's totally fine. But um, we don't want it to be five years worth of expenses, right? right? We don't want you to have, you know, $2 million sitting in cash, <laughs> not doing anything, right? Right, right. Uh, so we, we want to limit on that. So I, I want to give your audience permission to have some cash sitting in a bank doing nothing. <laughs> right? It's okay. It's okay, right? <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to if you want to find a better interest rate, like from a savings account or a money market, that's totally fine. Yeah. But I would not lock it up in a CD. I would not put it in the yeah. stock market. Yeah. Let it sit. Yeah. Let it let it be liquid, right? So let that um, provide some protection for you. Yeah. And actually, here's the good news. Um, in this time where you know you sort of have to look at your um, investment accounts with one eye open and just you know look at it and just keep it moving, your money market accounts are actually getting higher interest rates. So yeah, that's not a bad thing when you have some of your savings in a money market because that is you know easily accessible. You're actually earning more on it. So mm-hmm. see, there's upside in a free environment. Always good things. Well, along those lines, retirement planning, especially as a solo business owner, like what should we be thinking about? First of all, I mean, there may be some solos out there who don't have anything set up yet, or, you know, depending where they are in their lives, you know, just what what are a couple of the basics that they should be thinking about, about growing their retirement accounts and, and just preparing for the future? So building wealth as a concept is actually quite simple right? It's, it's not rocket science. It's regularly, continuously investing into a well-diversified portfolio for your entire life. There you go. It's just a regular dollar amount. It's called dollar cost averaging. And you put it in there, you set it, you forget it. And that's how you build wealth, right? It's not, there's not <laughs> some secret formula to it. Now, of course, we can get into some more complicated concepts, but that's generally it in the concept. Yeah. So for a business, Okay. Well, if you're an individual, you can always open an IRA, right? An individual retirement arrangement that is available to you as an individual. Now you can choose between traditional or Roth, and we can get into that in a, in a minute. If you have a more complicated type of business, or you have cash flow in your business, and you want to set up a retirement account in your business itself, you can choose. You can do a SEP IRA. You can do a solo 401k. If you have a, uh, a bigger business, um, like let's say it's a, you're an S-Corp and um, you've got some employees, you could institute a full 401k plan. Um, all of these things have their own special forms that you need to file and, and T's you need to cross, I's you need to dot. So um, you're going to want to talk to your accountant or your wealth manager about these specific accounts. But to make it very simple, um, you will have an IRA available to you. Now the IRA has limits. Each person can contribute $6,000 to it per year. And that that you can get an extra $1,000 if you're above 50 years old, um, mm-hmm. that bumps it up to 7,000. So, um, and, and like I said, that's available to you. Now we can talk about the distinction between these two, two traditional and Roth. But first I want to throw a, a tidbit of information out there that people haven't really uh, realized yet. And that the Trump tax cuts, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it changed the tax brackets mm-hmm. and it actually lowered the the rates 
and and made uh, taxes more favorable, right? So people were paying less taxes, generally speaking, with this new law. There's a sunset provision. And the sunset provision means that in 2026, the tax brackets will revert back to what they were before the law came into place. So that means um, unless Congress takes action, we know that taxes are going to go up in 2026, right? That is, that's a guarantee unless Congress takes action. Now, we all know that Congress is very good at not doing anything helpful. So, um, so there's, a, <laughs> there's a good chance that taxes will go up in 2026. Yeah, they're, so they're, they're, be- not, yeah they're, they're not short order cooks. You're not going to yeah. get it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so, that's actually very good to keep in mind too, as, as yeah. we do plan for the yeah, future. definitely. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, oh, good times, good times. <laughs> now, since we have you here, and and I know in speaking with you previously, may not be something we need we need to plan for, but in our world of working for ourselves, with a lot of people still operate as freelancers, and with the Pro Act legislation, I know even sometimes I get a little. Like I'm a company, but people might not see me as a company and they might not want to hire me if it causes them problems. So there's the PROACT legislation that you know, would would establish the ABC test. It, you know, it's meant to be protective to some classes of workers, but for others, like those of us who do run a business, you know, there is uh, some fear going around that it might jeopardize how we operate. What's your take? So the the PROACT, and I've and I've I'm aware of this act. It yeah. is running through Congress right now, so it has not become law yet. So as such, you know, we haven't really run into it much here. Okay. And so um, I, I haven't read the bill. So I don't have um, much information to tell you about that. Okay. You know, it's something that if it's passed, um, we will have plenty of time to read it and to, to help with planning to implement it. Okay. Um, so, and that's if it's passed. But what I can say is that the, the PRO Act, I believe it's, the People's Right to Organize Act, um, it basically uh, eliminates the right to work concept in every state. It's a federal law. Mm-hmm. The ABC testing is going to make it harder to classify um, people as independent contractors and easier to classify them as employees. Right. And therefore, if they're an employee, then they... Um, have a greater chance of, of joining a union, which um, the the PRO Act is super pro-union. So, I mean, from what I know about it, it's it's totally garbage and it would be a devastating thing to pass through Congress. It would it would it would be terrible for businesses all throughout the country. So um, yeah. I I I don't really have much more to say about it except that <laughs> call call your senator, call your representative and demand that yeah. they don't support it. I, I know that there are many in our circles of of independent workers, even because what's what's to say what's to delineate? You know, I can wave my tax classification at you at a company, and they may just say, "No, we don't want to get in any trouble." And you know, it just kind of goes against our ability to the beauty of working is just yeah, I can create a company, and it's fantastic. And wait, what? Yeah, I mean well, the yeah. the question is like, I'm sorry, it, Karen, go ahead. That we have this kind of juxtaposition in the United States of this rise of independent workers, including the creator economy, but you also have this rise of employees unionizing. Right. Right. And they're two very different 
mindsets and two very different ways of working. I would love to see a government that understood those nuances and understood that protections definitely need to be in place for those who choose to work as traditional employees, but freedom and flexibility needs to exist for those who choose to work on their own. And I feel some of the on-demand economy has blurred those lines a little bit. So you have, you know, for example, an Uber driver who truly is being abused by a system because we all know that technically, are they really independent? Eh, Kind of, but not really. Or is it a company leveraging the ability to build a business without having actual employees? And that makes it harder for people who truly are choosing to work that and understand all that comes with that, paying your taxes, being responsible for your own health insurance. You have this other class of workers that are quote unquote independent, but they really are not making enough, cannot make enough to really operate as a true business. So interesting time to me and wonder because I feel like the future of work, particularly for service workers, is more freedom, more flexibility. Even if you are traditionally employed, we're seeing remote work and digital nomads and all types of work arrangements. We're seeing, you know, the work week itself being structured in different ways, physical location. So I I think it's time for us as a country to really look and for our government to get educated about the different forms of working that are out there and what really needs protection and what doesn't. Is that going to happen? Probably not. We'll probably do more of the same is that depending on what administration is in charge and whether they're pro-union or pro-business, that's the way the winds are going to blow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it would be nice to come down somewhere in the middle. But like you say, you know, I know I've already expressed to my representatives of, hey, I've built a company because I I know I see a lot on Twitter of, of writers, freelance writers who yeah. do very well for themselves. And journalists. Freelance. Because journal- there's a lot yes. of freelance journalists these yeah, days. Journalists. We deal with a lot of journalists. Many of them are no longer employed by a single publication. But things like, you know, AB5 in California have limited their ability to work, which is crazy. Yeah. So I think that's where we're getting jittery. But we thank yeah. you. Thank you for your insight on that, yeah. Andrew. It's helpful to just, nothing yeah. happens quickly. It's all okay. It'll be okay. Yeah, it, it, Oh, I have one um, quick question for you. I know that sometimes the term wealth manager scares people and they automatically rule themselves out of needing a wealth manager because you think that you need to have a super yacht or your own private island. I know that that's very far from the truth, but talk to us a little bit about wealth management services and why even small business owners benefit from the guidance of a wealth manager. So a wealth manager is going to, there's multiple types, I'll say. Um, I'd say the most common type is um, they actually hold the assets of their clients or they, they manage the assets of their clients the, and they are going to pick uh, the mutual funds, the index funds or, or whatever the money is invested in and they will regularly monitor that. So the client who maybe maybe you don't know you know everything about the stock market right uh, a lot of people don't and that's perfectly fine um, so if you know to them that might seem to be a daunting task of well I, I want to invest in the stock market but I have no idea what to buy right and so you could go to a, a financial advisor or a wealth manager and you know you hear their spiel listen to them look at their credentials and 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 see what their philosophy is and 
um, if you agree with it, if you if you they seem to be a trustworthy person and you can do broker checks on them to make sure that there's no lawsuits filed against them and that kind of thing, um, then they can invest the money um, according to your desires, but they'll be the ones that specialize and pick the specific investments, right? And so um, part of the planning is, well, what type of account should we open? Should we open a brokerage account? Should we open an IRA? Should we uh, open up a, a SEP IRA for your business, right? And so yeah. you can go to that person and they will help you with your specific business or even individually. I love that. So it's an expert in helping you to manage and build your wealth. Yes. Yeah. I think that everyone can benefit from that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I said that was the last question. One more because this is, this is coming up a lot. Are you all dealing with cryptocurrency at all and how should we be ignoring this? Should we get serious about understanding this? <laughs> so, so I'm actually the digital asset specialist here at Canon. Yeah. So, we at Canon try to be on the cutting edge of a lot of things. So, so yes, we have our eye very keenly on cryptocurrency. Um, we believe that it has a very large role to play in the future, particularly the concept of the blockchain. This is a this is an hours long conversation that we can have. So I'll try to boil it down very briefly, right? We'll have to have um, you back. <laughs> yeah, right. To answer your question, should people consider it? The answer is yes, you should consider it. But um, you need to make sure you have um, everything else in place first, right? So for example, do you have an emergency fund, right? Yeah. Um, if you don't, then you, no, you should not be invested in cryptocurrency, right? Um, are you, as an individual, adequately saving for retirement through traditional means in the stock market, through diversification with index funds and mutual funds? Because if you're not, then you should not be in cryptocurrency, right? Is your, is your debt under control? I mean, ideally, we want to see no debt in retirement, and we want to see you working your debt down throughout your, um, your uh, working career. And, and you know we can talk about the specifics of that at another point in time. But um, is your debt under control at the very least or totally gone? Because if it's not, if you've got massive amounts of credit card debt, um, if you can barely make your mortgage payment, you should not be invested in cryptocurrency, right? So you should only put the amount of money that you're willing to lose and write off entirely in crypto, right? What we are doing here at Canon is we actually have an option in um, our models and our portfolio for those clients who are interested um, it's called the alternative space. If they're crypto curious, we can uh, choose that option and we'll take just a couple percentage, maybe 2% of their portfolio and allocate it to funds in the stock market that are investing in crypto companies or that hold crypto specifically in a trust. And so we can actually get your portfolio exposure to cryptocurrency um, all in a holistic approach so you don't actually have to do anything. So, but yeah, it, it is, it is something to keep your eye on. But like I said, yeah. if you've got other more important things related to your business, related to you personally, um, you need to take care of those first. Yeah. It's definitely probably not something to play in day trading or anything like that. Of, no, no, no. Especially with recent events of what yeah. just I mean, happened. <laughs> again, you, you can play around, you can day trade, but it's gotta okay. be with an amount of money you're willing yeah. to lose. Yeah. Right. So use use your casino role. I have fifty dollars to blow. <laughs> exactly. Hey, with. if you've got fifty dollars to blow, and you know, might as well put it in Bitcoin, right? I mean, 
if it's if you're going to blow Why it anyway, not? then then Bitcoin right? has you know a, you know relatively decent chance of of going up in value. So yeah, well that's that is that is very good information. And because yeah. I knew you know we've all been hearing about it, and you think ah oh, should I be paying attention to this? I don't know. So no, well gosh, we thank you so much. That the time has flown by, and we really appreciate all the time you've spent with us, Andrew. You've given all of our listeners a lot to think about. And um, so make sure that um, everyone listening, share this around. If you found it beneficial, let us know what you think at soloprpro.com. And until next time, thanks for joining us on That Solo Life. <laughs>